This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. comes again from the story that we find in John 11. It's the story of Lazarus. Because living the Lazarus life is what each of us is called to as Christians. Our reading comes from John 11, verses 39 through 44. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead men, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Lazarus is us. We ask that we would... Lazarus is us. We ask that we would hear your voice in a a profound way, so that whatever's dead in us may come to life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hear it all the time. Stay healthy. Stay safe. You know the ways to do that. Social distancing frequent hand washing, and mask wearing. Now, I am pleased to tell you that I have three already beautifully made, some that are simple, and now the little one that goes on the neck and pulls up. I find that these are going to be great stocking stuffers when December rolls around. What many did not know in this mask wearing is that they have bad breath, halitosis. And that is now sparking quite a number of articles on what to do if in mask wearing you've discovered that you have bad breath. Now, Lazarus has much more than halitosis. Everything about him smells. He's saved, but stinky. That's really a picture of the believer's life. We are genuinely new, but we are so often a mess. When Jesus calls us from the tomb, there are grave clothes that must be removed. There's a deep washing, cleansing, 
like never before that needs to take place. And I a rehab for all that experience in death. Lazarus is us. Some of you may have lived a long time with a driving question in your life. I happen to know there are four people in this congregation who have a driving question of how to cure cancer. I, too, have a driving question. It's been with me most of my life, and that's this. The question is, what should we expect once we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior? What kind of change comes about? And how deep is it? And what's the rate of change that we should expect? Now, there's a, a reason for now, there's a, a reason for this driving question of mine. I grew up in a Christian home. My father was a Presbyterian minister. My mother was the director of Christian education. We prayed before meals. We had family devotions together every night. Yet no one in my household was free from the stench of grave clothes. Nearly every manner of brokenness and woundedness could be found in my family. Reflecting on my own life, when I met Jesus personally, when I was a 14-year-old, I did have like a candle, a, a light come into me, and it's only grown brighter. But the light of Christ did not erase a deep that was underneath all of that. Sadness, insecurity, shame, loneliness. These were not cured by a good marriage. They did not go away when I had children, nor did they dissolve with my career. I am Lazarus, and I believe that in some way you are too. When Lazarus emerges from the tomb, he is genuinely new. But he is not totally new. He's wearing grave clothes, and he smells like rotten eggs. But he does not stay this way forever. He has his clothes removed. He's washed. He's restored in his relationships. And we find by chapter 12 that Lazarus is a powerful witness to the love and his deity. What follows is Lazarus' transformation. Transformation of our own lives is what God intends to follow us as well. Now, we heard from Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. And reading this in light of Lazarus' story, we discover three things. That there are two natures within us. Transformation, therefore, is messy. And we discover the indispensable key to being transformed. Let's look at those two natures within us. Notice verses 43 through 44 of John 11. When Jesus had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! 
the dead man came out. The dead man, not the living man. We hear in this that Lazarus looks dead. He smells dead. Yet, through the power of Jesus' word, he lives. It's the same with us. Something dead, something alive. Two natures. Paul speaks of these two natures in Galatians 5, 16 through 25. He wrote to Christians who lived in the Roman province of Galatia. They were Gentile converts. They heard the preaching of Paul. They responded in faith and new life came into them. A church was formed. And now Paul is writing the church. And what is formed? And now Paul is writing the church. And what does he say? He says, there's some parts of you that are not of Christ. You're genuinely new, but you are not totally new. You've brought attitudes and values and behaviors from the pagan culture and from your own fallen nature into your lives. Paul calls this fallen nature the flesh. The flesh is a phrase <clears throat> that is not referring to our bodies. It is not referring to the created nature. It is instead speaking to that part in us which is opposed to God. That part that results in spiritual death and deadly consequences. We see the flesh showing up most often in our hurts, our hang-ups. I've shared the story of Dave Valley with you before, but it bears repeating. Jim and I got to know Dave when he was playing minor league baseball with the Lynn Sailors. That's part of the farm system of the Seattle Mariners, Major League Baseball. Dave grew up in a large Italian family in Queens, New York. His father died when Dave was young, and his mother was left to raise a large family on her own. Dave had a quick temper. He was prone to fistfights and a bad mouth. Dave met Jesus when he was a minor leaguer. He began studying the Bible in a discipling relationship. Dave was genuinely new. New, but not totally new. For many years, as a major league baseball player, Dave had explosions of his temper in full view of fans and television. Once when the Mariners were in Dallas playing the Texas Rangers, Dave popped up at bat. As he was heading back to the dugout, he overheard the Rangers manager, Bobby Valentino, mouthing off at him. Dave turned around and ran into the opposing team's dugout and began taking punches at Bobby Valentino. Now, you don't do that in Major League Baseball, nor in Little League. Of course, Dave was ejected from the game. Dave possessed two natures. The In Galatians 5.16, Paul urges us 
Christians to live by the Spirit, not to gratify the desires of the flesh. And what does the flesh look like in your own life? Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage sounds like this. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Paul is writing to Christians, to you and to me. He knows that we are genuinely new, but not totally new. The spirit-controlled nature, in contrast, bears the aroma of Jesus Christ, and it reflects his life to others. To others. Therefore, it's called fruit. It looks like this. An affection for others. Exuberance about life. Serenity. A, do, a willingness to stick with things. A sense of compassion of heart. A conviction that the basic holiness of God permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life. Able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Does this excite you? It does, I know, me. It is what life operating in the Spirit is like. And anyone and everyone who's raised to new life in Christ is called to live like this. So why don't we this? So why don't we? Well, it's because we have two natures in us. The fallen nature, grave clothes, and this new life in the spirit. They're opposed to each other. They're doing tug of war with each other. Do you know what this is like? Perhaps you experience it every day. The Native American chief, Sitting Bull, said, Inside of me, there are two dogs. One is mean and evil, and the other is good. And they fight each other all the time. When asked which one wins, I answer, the one I feed the most. Which nature do you feed? the most spirit and don't feed the flesh so what should we expect in this 
process of transformation. What is it like? Well, I, I see from these scriptures and from the rest three things. It's messy because sin is pervasive. It is never complete until we enter into glory. And it involves more than spirituality. Transformation is messy because it is pervasive. Sin morphs into new expressions and comes at us by stealth. The 16th century reformer John Calvin called sin's effect total depravity. Others know it as pervasive depravity. It pervades every aspect of our lives. It is so much like the COVID-19 virus, which illustrates this. COVID-19 is stealth. It's sinister in its ability to invade every major organ and system of our body. It can invade the lungs, the heart, the blood vessels. It can go into the kidneys, the liver, the intestines, the nervous system, and the brain. Nothing is untouched. It leaves damage and death in its wake. Sin is like COVID-19. It affects everything. It gets into our will, and it gets into our thinking. It gets into what we desire and into our actions. For this reason, transformation is messy. And the sinful nature remains with us, even if it is silent or seems to be dormant. You give it any room and boom, it becomes another hot spot. And we find ourselves with stinking thinking and destructive behaviors. There's another reason transformation is messy. It's because it is never complete until glory. Until we receive our new bodies and are face to face with, heaven, with the Lord in heaven. Therefore, Paul tells us in Galatians to walk by the Spirit, giving no room for the flesh. In other words, be vigilant. Don't let down your guard. Again, it's so similar to what we are to do in a pandemic. It is beautiful outside. It's Memorial Day weekend. The beaches are open. But don't let that fool you. We cannot let down our guard and do as we please. To stay healthy, to stay safe, means we must continue our practices that we have learned while we've been sheltering in place. In the same way, transformation to holiness is one choice at a time. It's every day. It's not as though we had fire insurance policy in our salvation that we could just put away somewhere, one and done. No, it is an entire life with God made up of every choice. C.S. Lewis in his uh, seminal work, Mere Christianity, speaks of how, how our choices are turning us into one type of creature or another. He says, 
uh, taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, you are slowly turning into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God or and with other creatures, or else one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and its fellow creatures. To be one kind is heaven, to be another is madness and horror. And each of us, at each moment, is progressing toward one state or another. In which direction is your life moving? Are you transforming into this new life that, that Christ raised? Or are you in grave clothes more and more? And transformation is messy because it does involve more than spirituality. I mentioned earlier that I had sadness and I had shame and insecurity and loneliness that was not removed as I met Christ nor cured by marriage, children, or career. I did try to pray more and confess. I did read more of Scripture. I did worship. I did go to Christian seminars. But I didn't know that what I was suffering from was not spiritual in nature, but it was psychological wounds that needed healing. Now, there are points in our spiritual pilgrimage when God's Spirit will awaken us to what we really need, awaken us to what we really need. For some, you will be awakened to the fact that you need better care of your body. You need more sleep. You need better food. You need some medical attention. For others, it will be that your career is a misfit, that it, you are in a wrong situation in which you are regularly submitting yourself. For others, it can be something else. For me, it was psychological, psychological wounds that needed healing. In his book, Invitation to a Journey, Rob, uh, Robert Mulholland writes, Psychological brokenness needs treatment in the same way that a broken bone needs to be set and healed. While physical therapy is an integral and essential aspect of healing for a broken leg, therapy alone without the setting of the bone, there any stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage that you cannot get rid of, no matter how hard you try, Christian counseling is one of God's tools for healing, just as an orthopedic surgeon is a God's tool for resetting broken bones. And finally, that indispensable key for being transformed. It's indispensable. Next week, we will be looking more closely at this transformation process and our participation in it. But today, I would like you to hear the one indispensable key, and that is this. Let God's love come in. Jesus cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. He looked like death. He smelled. He looked like death. He smelled like death. Jesus loved him. Imagine that you were there. You hear 
Jesus calling this dead man by name. And your heart beats faster as you look inside the tomb that's just been opened. The stitch of the smell is just now reaching your nose and you wince. You lean forward in the silence and you look into the gaping blackness when suddenly your heart feels like it stops as you see a body coming out from the mouth of the tomb. The body is upright and though tightly bound, it is soiled and wet with grave clothes, and it consumes the air with an obnoxious odor. You instantly want to bury it. You stay transfixed by the sight of another man. This other man is Jesus. He is not wincing or covering his nose. His calm visage is undisturbed by this dead man walking toward him. Rather than flinching, Jesus looks steadily with eyes of love toward the hidden person beneath the grave clothes. Jesus loves this dead man who is now alive. And that's when you realize Jesus loves me in this very same way. We are Lazarus. Let Jesus love you. Surrender to his love. Let it in. It is the indispensable transformation. Henry Nouwen, in weighing this whole thing of transformation, acknowledged that there are so many things that we want to do that we can't have the energy to say no to, no to, when they're so attractive whether it's lust or greed or needs or the world's power. Henry Nouwen said, there is only one thing I can say yes to when I come in touch with the fact that I am loved. That gives me the power to say no to everything else. Once I have found that in my total brokenness, I am still love, I become free from the compulsion of doing these other things. Do you know Jesus' love for you in your brokenness? Do you know Jesus' love for you in your brokenness? Let love in. Jesus' love is mediated through God's people. That is how we are transformed. God became flesh, one of us. Jesus mediated the love of God for us. It's the same way now. The church is the body of Christ. And not every church member knows that this is his or her high calling to mediate the love of God to someone who's wearing grave clothes. And yet when we do, when we share the transformation that God is doing in our life with others who smell, who don't look right, who are in process, they experience what we too have each other. We need to be known. We need to be loved. I know that God used my husband, Jim Singleton, as that person 
combined with Rachel Johnson, another who has seen me in my grave clothes and not been repulsed. I know there are many in our lives who serve that function for us. And if even today you say, I, I want to be that kind of lover of the soul, it all begins with letting grace in, letting Christ see us and name us and tell us who we are. You're my beloved. I've raised you. And you can live in this love and then not only receive it, but extend it to others. It. To others that I'm raising. Now that is a high calling. Not only for us as individuals, for a church. And that is the invitation that we have in the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we would see ourselves as you see us and that we would see others as you see them. And we pray that the grace and the love and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us. We pray in your holy name. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.